Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Interesting. How about that? 
So uh, we'll be having all that information here shortly, right after this short break. Remember, only two breaks during this entire radio show, right now and then about three-quarters of the way through. Two, that is it. Less than AM, FM radio, less than TV, very few ads. But, hey, support these folks. They bring you this radio show for free so you can get all the value from our great guests that we have on. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brency.com. Brency spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brency.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brency. Technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... <laughs> 
you'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We're in, actually we're actually going to be entering our seventh year of broadcasting. How awesome is that? We're approaching a thousand episodes, all of them archived for your listening pleasure. Got to love it, man! I spent all morning on the phone. I had uh, two folks that were interested in sponsorship uh, with the Chicken Whisperer Incorporated, and uh, pretty good products. Looking at uh, our options there, and then. Uh, um, holy cow, what else was on the docket for this morning? Um, oh, getting the articles in and forwarding them to the uh, publisher for the winter edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Got to love that. Uh, busy, busy, busy day here. Of course, the last few days we've been broadcasting with great shows, and I've had some uh, good quality time with uh, with the boy, and uh, we just had really a fun experience yesterday. was no exception. Uh, we hit the road early yesterday morning, and uh, he experienced a lot of things. Uh, which we had a really good time uh, doing. Today took a break, spent all morning in the office, probably spent all afternoon in the office, and uh, catching up on some things and getting this uh, magazine uh, hopefully published and printed and out by around the 1st of November. That's what we're shooting for. So the articles are starting to roll in, and we've got some some really good ones. Let me share with you. Get over here to our Facebook page. I did share, I believe, yesterday with what articles you can expect in the winter edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, fact-based, science-based, study-based info from experts in their field. We've got an article all about combs, the function of the comb, the importance of the comb. That'll be in the issue. Solar power for your coop. Today's guest on the show, Richard Frudenberger, writing that article, Solar Power uh, for Your Coop. Your coop's far from the home. You don't have any power hooked up. You wanna you live in a cold climate. You want some type of heater for your water. Or, uh, maybe you choose to, regardless of of you know they need it or not, a a heater in your coop. And you know maybe you want a fan in your coop in the summertime. You need a power source, but you're not going to take the expense of running power from your home out there. Solar power for your coop. Winter edition. Chicken Whisper magazine. <laughs> Supplemental light for egg production throughout the winter. Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., poultry scientist, writing that one. Um, that'll be a good one. Uh, raising quail for chicken keepers. Alexander Douglas, she was here on the show yesterday. The quail lady, raising quail for chicken keepers. Dealing with mycoplasma. Dealing with mycoplasma. Um, poultry scientist Dr. Maurice Patiski writing that article for us. And then, of course, medicine residue and eggs medicine residue and eggs, a topic that may concern you if you ever uh, medicate your flock. Just some good general information about that, things you need to be aware of. That also is written by a um, poultry or a farm a pharmacologist, if you will, from, um, I believe it's the university. So you got to love it. And uh, so great information coming out in the winter edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Want to make sure you take advantage of that. And you can subscribe to that absolutely free, the digital edition at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. You can also see all three uh, current uh, issues, the spring, the uh, summer, and the fall edition are all there for your viewing pleasure. No show tomorrow, but we will return on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here with Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, and he'll have, I'm sure, a very important topic that you'll want to learn about 
regarding your backyard flock. So let's head over to the phone lines right now. We've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Joining us today is, of course, Homestead Ed. That's what we're calling it, the second and the fourth Thursday of every single month, Homestead Ed with Richard. Um, and uh, today, hey, let's face it, we got a stinky topic, but an important topic at that. Let's go ahead and give him a chicken whisperer. Welcome. Today we're talking about the importance of uh, proper care and maintenance for your septic tank. And um, my parents have one. They have a beautiful mountain home uh, just uh, in the northeast Georgia mountains, a beautiful view, beautiful lot. Uh, they have septic. I think every other house I've ever lived in in my 45 years have had city sewer, uh, but they do have septic, uh, septic up there. And uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have septic where they live. In fact, the house I'm currently at had a septic tank. I know exactly where it is, so I don't drive my 7,500-pound truck over that. Um, but uh, we are now back. Uh, we are now on, of course, uh, city sewers. But that's our topic today, and, and the importance of uh, care, proper care, and proper maintenance of that uh, of the septic uh, system. So, uh, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, um, so uh, let's let's go ahead and get started. Let's dive right in. <laughs> no pun intended. Into uh, into the, the septic care because I know again, uh, maybe half our listeners, maybe a good portion of them, uh, deal with this. Someone already posted on my Facebook page, kind of about what they do on a routine basis to try to make sure they don't have any issues and nobody wants a septic backup that's absolutely for sure there's a lot of what you may touch on over the counter if you will things that you can buy um that just you know pour down the commode that treat quote unquote the septic tank or feed the tank so um we're we're all ears and ready to listen and uh, get the chicken whisper notebooks out and take some notes yeah yeah well um you know a lot of people uh, probably every year the urban population grows slightly, um, and that includes not just cities but uh, suburban areas or extension of extensions of suburban areas. So as that infrastructure, as people move into areas and that infrastructure grows, of course it includes uh, water and septic. You know, they have mm-hmm. to extend water lines and they have to uh, at some point um, either bite the bullet and raise money to build a um a sewer line which actually will treat you know treat the sewage and uh under the municipal city's you know uh network and rules and regulations or they'll have to um uh live with the fact that they're they're sending people water and allowing them to build homes further and further out from the hub of the city but they're mm-hmm. they're still they're still telling them well we can't we can't afford to build the uh the uh, sewage treatment uh, end of it or part of it, so you're going to have to you're going to have to use a septic tank, and um, mm-hmm. so there's quite a few septic tanks in in um, in use today. I, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, and I know that's easy to find, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's quite it's quite a, a high number, and you know the funny thing is most people don't even have an idea of, of what a septic tank does really, what it what it looks like, um, if they even have one in some cases, they just don't know. Um uh, you know, of course when you buy a house it 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 will state on your at least on your realtors on your realtors um uh list there you know, how the house is served as far as waste goes and, and of course 
uh, the health department in every county should have a um, <clears throat> should have a record of your uh, supposed to anyway have a record of your um, location of your tank, uh, at least for houses that were built in the past, you know, maybe 30 years or, or somewhere in that range. I guess older homes, <clears throat> of course, don't uh, they didn't do that in those days. But um, but a septic tank is really just a um, a large container. The tank itself is just a large container um, or a cistern that is uh, generally sited about 10, 20, 30 feet from the house maybe. Uh, and then from this uh, container of uh, uh, or holder is usually cement. Uh, there can be other styles that we'll talk about a little bit, but, uh, but the modern design is a cement container. And then from this container, there is um, a pipe or a manifold, a series of pipes, a series of pipes that um, stretch out um, 50, 60 feet in, you know, one, two, three, or four arms that go out under the soil and terminate, as I said, about 60, 50 or 60 feet from the from the uh, tank itself. So you can imagine uh, if your wrist, if your wrist is the tank or, or the back of your hand is the tank, your say four fingers, excluding the thumb, are going to be the four um, pipes that stretch out and are buried under the soil, so that um, so that the the uh, liquid effluent or the fluid uh, in the waste system can soak into the soil and eventually dissipate. Now that's a, a fairly simple explanation, and uh, to make it even more a little more complicated, the before we actually started using septic tanks. Um, officially, or, or concrete cast tanks, which were, which are almost well, they're almost always used today. The um, people just built their own out of a, just dug a hole and maybe lined a pit, lined a pit with uh, bricks or um, rocks or whatever, and and didn't even use the, uh, didn't even use the, um, the uh, field, a septic field officially. They just let the water, just like a dry well works. They just let the uh, let the effluent and the solid waste settle in the tank, and then the water would ooze out between the rocks or the bricks and uh, and um, get into the soil, and you know eventually eventually would uh, you know dissipate the soil. The the liquid level in the tank would drop, and then uh, um, as you use the commode, then you know of course it would it would fill up again. And ideally, it would never fill up enough to actually come out of. It would never come out of the top because the whole thing is the whole thing is sealed, but it. it it can come out of the top if if the uh, if the system is so overloaded it has nowhere else to go and certainly will back up and and uh, not allow the uh, commode to flush. So then you'll have issues with um, issues with uh, water coming back up into the backing up into the house. Um, so why are we so concerned about soil? That's that's actually the magic. That's the that's the secret ingredient in the um, in the whole system. The soil. The, septic system would not work properly if the soil wasn't involved and how it's involved is the is the uh these laterals as they call them these these tubes that go under the earth and they're really not buried that far under they're 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 really generally set in a bed of gravel uh several feet into the ground and then they're covered up with uh was a variety of doing it they're covered up with a filter fabric or some some other gravel or whatever and then and then there's soil on top of that um, the gravel is really just to let the water get out of the out of the pipes faster. The pipes are 
perforated, perforated. The lateral pipes actually have little holes in them so that water can get out. Um, and the um, the soil, as if you think about the soil, is contains microbes. The soil contains all the elements necessary to break down the um, material in the in the effluent or, or the or the flushable liquid part of the of the waste system. Uh, it, it actually breaks down the um, material and uh, works on it and digests it and consumes it to the point where it's no longer um, a toxic or a um, or a um, a uh, substance that's you know that's uh, poisonous or going to uh, you know going to infect the water uh, drinking water or um, or be a, a problem with uh, you know decomposition or anything like that. So the the microbes in the soil are actually a sanitizing agent that um, that takes all the all the uh, um, septic material in the in the tank and and basically just deals with it in a, in a very natural and completely organic way and uh, and uh, it just returns to the soil and you know that's uh, and that's that. Um, so I have some numbers. Problem, I have some numbers do. for you. Yep, it says. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Here we got. There's approximately 20 million uh, septic tanks or cesspools. And um, well, I just read this whole little this box. In Seventy-seven million people live in small communities. Eleven point seven million housing units in small communities are served by public sewers. Twenty million are used are using septic tanks or cesspools, and just under a million actually use outhouses or privies. Uh, Pennsylvania has the most people living in small communities, 4.4 million, and Texas has the greatest number of housing units in small communities at uh, almost 2 million. You know, here's interesting. California has the highest number of housing units using outhouses or privies at 67,865 housing units in California that use an outhouse or privy. So according to this, um, about 20 million People right now are using septic. Wow, that's a that's a pretty high number. And compare that to what you just said about how many are on, you, uh, you know, the other systems and and whatever. So um, it's still it's a very large, a uh, uh, very large portion of of the. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a significant num significant number of people. So it's not just a little. This, this, this comes from. Um, this comes from the EPA, EPA.gov, and the U.S. Census data on small community housing and wastewater disposal. <clears throat> yeah, so it's, it's accurate information, and, and it's important because what we, um, besides the inconvenience of having of having a waste backup and and all the associated problems with that, in the country, again, it, it goes hand in hand. In the city, people have their water um, sent to them generally from from a, a rural area far away and they treat it um, mm -hmm. and then they ship, they put it through your pipes, the water pipes to your house. But in the country, you most likely have a well. So what you're doing is, you know, in the same, generally within, you know, within a very close proximity, uh, uh, of course, not right next to each other. They don't, that's not really um, allowed, but, um, but, you know, within, within your property, um, even a small piece of property, you, you have a, you're you're actually accessing your water. You're you're pulling your water up out of the ground and then turning around and dumping your waste mm -hmm. right on top of the soil, right near that. So, um, so it is important because if the if the um, effluent and the waste daylight, which is the word that we use to talk about when it actually comes to the surface, uh, instead uh -huh. of going into the soil where it's supposed to go, 
um, it, it creates a you know a, a health hazard. And on top of that, if it, if it goes through the soil too quickly and doesn't ha it doesn't remain in within the soil to uh, to allow the microbes to work uh, properly on it, or if it goes if the soil isn't isn't of the right construction, if it's too sandy or too uh, you know too much gravel in it or whatever, and it's just the the effluent just goes through the soil, um, it's eventually going to uh, potentially get into the water uh, table. Uh, not in every case, but in, in especially in people who have shallow wells and such. Um, and then you'll have a you'll have a mixture of fecal coliform uh, and drinking water, which is never you know never any good. Um, uh -huh. I mean, I don't know I don't know about you, but I mean, everybody here we have a here we have a state have a a county uh, um, course, and they and you can actually pick up the phone and call them and have them test your water for fecal coliform for, I don't think they charge. I mean, they, they didn't used to. They they may now, but uh, it certainly isn't very much. Um, this is not a full water test. This is really just a, a health-related fecal coliform test to see how much uh, waste content might be in your water. Every every source of water has to some degree, a small, a, you know, minuscule amount. Um, and in the country, it, it so happens that, of course, you're going to have a little more because people do have wells and they have shallow wells and some people even still uh, source their water from surface sources which is more and more a risky a risky uh, uh ever but um but so you know the county has it in their best interest to to uh you know go out and test your water and you get a little report and it says there's you know so much 0.007% of people call for whatever and you know funny thing is mo most people get used to it um initially if you if you just move here from another area people can feel Get sick at the stomach or feel ill, maybe drinking water and thinking, "I wonder what that is." But after over several weeks, they develop a, a, um, I guess, an immunity to it. And uh, uh, and again, we're not talking about about a large quantity at all. I'm talking about a small amount, but still, it is it is present. And um, you know, our bodies just adjust, and um, and you know, that's that's that. Um, you know, as, as when you go when people go on vacation to uh, to under uh, less developed countries, they'll often have stomach problems because their the water isn't isn't up to the standards that we're you know that we're used to. If they were to stay there for you know several weeks or whatever, they'd probably get immune to it and um, it'd be fine. But the um, the way that the system actually works is that is the tank uh, the modern tank anyway has bath has either has a baffle in it or has a has a has a design in which the uh, exit there's an entry pipe and an exit pipe, and the and some and by whatever means possible, either either a baffle or a block a blocking box or some other way of doing it, some mechanical way of doing it. There, the the uh, the waste material comes in from the from the flushed commode and from your from your uh, uh, drain and waste pipes under the under the house, and it comes in just raw just raw water and and waste and whatever else is in there. Uh, right into that tank, and uh, the idea is that over over time the solid materials will sink to the bottom of the tank. And by the way, this tank is probably in the neighborhood of um, it's depend the modern tank may be in the neighborhood of thousand uh, to three thousand gallons. I mean, a twelve hundred fifteen hundred gallon tank is is very common. Um, so you think of a of a tank with two chambers, and um, and the water will the water and the waste and and anything else that's in that in that that's in the commode or put in the commode is going to is going to flop into that tank into the one chamber and then 
there's a, a wall between chamber number one and chamber number two, a cement wall uh, in many designs anyway. And so the, um, the solid material will, over time, just sink to the bottom of chamber number one, leaving the liquid to you know be at the top of, the, of that chamber. And then as the liquid rises, as you flush more and more um, over time, the, uh, the water will spill over into just just water now not we 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 don't want the solids to spill over but the water will spill over into um into the uh second chamber and then from there when it reaches the height of the exit pipe it'll flow out the exit pipe and then flow into the lateral piping that has little perforated holes and 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 the um that will allow the effluent which is a mixture of water and and waste material but all liquid um that will allow that material to get out and and distribute itself into the soil, and you know between the between the evaporation from the surface and the and the actual capillary action of the soil and the gravity pull uh, pulling the liquid down uh, and spreading it out, um, that drains or septic field, which is which is all the soil above, below, and around your your lateral uh, system of tubes will um, you know absorb all that stuff. The, the trouble begins when people either over flush the commode or overload in some way overload the, the tank with liquids or solids, including including things that don't belong in the toilet, which I'll which I'll explain in a little bit. But all this stuff gets dumped in there, and at some point, it's very possible that the that that dam that is supposed to just allow liquid effluent to flow over that dam will not be able to stop solids the solids will be will be floating at the top and they'll they'll flow into the second chamber and then there's no place for them to go but out that pipe and once they go out that pipe and start distributing themselves into the laterals they clog up um they can clog up the lateral pipes because the lateral pipes have small have, have smaller holes in them to allow the water out and not only that, but if, if they get through the lateral pipes, they'll get into the soil, and even that will clog up. The soil particles will actually can actually get clogged up with, you know, it could be it could be a lot of things. It could be clay uh, from kitty litter somebody poured down the, the mode. It could be uh, paint and volatiles, um, oils. You know, could somebody dump a dump a half a can of paint down the down the commode and flush it, figuring that just get rid of it. Um, it could be oils, motor oils, or cooking oils, or fats, or anything like that. Just getting, just stuff that really does not dissolve well, and does not break down well, um, except for in chemical, uh, you know, with chemical action. Uh, it naturally doesn't want to break down well, and that that will get into those laterals and into the soil and clog everything up. And then that will not uh, either will not allow the any future water to come and distribute through the soil correctly. Or it will, even if it allows the water to get in into the soil, it will it will have clogged up the uh, the pores of the soil and the and the little air spaces and such between the soil particles within the soil bed and the septic field uh, to such an extent that the um, that the uh, microbes can't do their job. So the so the the effluent which is loaded with toxins and and just um, you know septic material will um, will not be treated they'll just they'll just flow through and drain and distribute themselves through the soil without actually being treated properly so uh then you have a have a bed full of uh you know just basically toxic 
toxic or unhealthy uh, unhealthy soil um, full of coliform bacteria and other bad you know other bad bacteria. So um, and the, you know these things um, uh, aren't really to be taken lightly because that's the source of uh, hepatitis. Um, just a, a lot of a lot of diseases that we consider that we uh, you know we have we felt that over the over the uh, centuries we've taken care of um, diseases that occur on a regular basis in undeveloped countries, but that that we we don't expect to find here. Well, when you start having faulty septic systems, and that and that material gets into the water system, uh, then people start having problems, and that's um, um, you know that's something we try to avoid in a in a uh, uh, you know in a municipal situation, uh, and even in the country. I mean, in, in the country, it's not it may not be as the population density isn't as isn't as thick. It's not we're not as crowded, but but even making you know a, a neighborhood. Um, ill with bad water, or um, or even just a family, because of improper sanitary uh, sanitary conditions, it's um, you know it's it's not a good thing, and and it may not be traceable immediately. It may not be uh, something that you recognize as a problem immediately, because it may not be you may not be having a problem flushing the commode or having the water go out. I mean, it could, it could very well flush out perfectly fine, but it's just not being treated correctly. So. You know there are there actually are some um, there are some practices some best practices that we can think about to uh, to not uh, to use as guidelines so we don't we don't um, upset the the normal function of the of the entire you know septic system um, and um, you know I can just go down some of those things probably the most probably the most um, important one and the one you can do the most about is um, it's just really Really control or watch or don't overuse or over overload the amount of water going into the septic system. Uh, people may not realize that it's not just the the toilets and the commodes that are attached to the septic system, and that's certainly the the reason they're there. But in a modern household, generally the um, the showers, the bathtubs, the sinks, you know, the little vanity sink in the bathroom, the kitchen sink, the um, you know the laundry system, uh, the um, the uh, washing machine, um, the sink that the uh, that the garbage disposal is attached to. You know the kitchen sink. All that all this goes into the uh, goes into the uh, septic system. Now in in well thought out, well planned homes, or in or or in modern homes where zoning zoning and uh, building requirements. Uh, building codes require that you um, have a separate, a separate septic or dry well system for a washing machine. That's a good thing. Uh, that allows all the, at least all the wash loads to go to a, to a separate location because the wash load uh, risk is 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 very very low compared to a, a septic tank risk. Um, and um, and in some systems, even in in some gray water systems or in uh, or in uh, some systems that are sort of designed uh, especially to handle different water flow loads, you can have separate, you know, there may be some separate uh, avenues for um, for gray water as opposed to what we call black water, which is which is the, the toilet-related water. So um, so just, just a, a sheer matter of not doing, out of convenience, not doing five loads of laundry in a row on Saturday or Monday or whenever you do it. Um, uh, that that is definitely an overload situation. You need you ought to give time 
allow some time between each water, each uh, wash load to allow the water to um, distribute itself uh, through the system and into the soil, and let that tank, let that tank um, uh, go down a bit before you put your next, you know, your next load in there. Because um, what happens is, as, as I said, you put too much water in that septic tank, and the solid material that has not yet had a chance to settle to the bottom of the tank is is more than likely going to be driven over over the little uh, separation partition and and may very well get get uh, drawn through the um, outlet pipe and then you, that's when you have your trouble. Um, you, you definitely do not want this to happen. Now, now seeing that this tank septic tank is buried, you know, a foot or 16 inches the top of it anyway, uh, 16 inches or so below the um, surface of the soil, you're not going to know. Uh, other than uh, excavating it and taking the lid off and looking, you're not going to know um, whether the uh, whether that partition wall has been breached with solids or not. I mean, it's just a matter of uh, you'll you'll figure it out when you start having trouble with the uh, you know with the system. Um, but but avoiding putting too much water into the system is um, is uh, probably the easiest way to avoid uh, problems, and that includes like back-to-back showers. Uh, you know, more than two showers back-to-back can be an issue if you're if your um, if your uh, shower systems and, and bath systems are hooked up to the septic, um, and um, and any other um, you know any other source of water you can think of, but certainly you don't want to be dump- dumping gutter you know ex- external gutter um, you know roof runoff or anything like that into the uh, into the septic system. There'd really be no reason to, but just um, just if people had a had a, um, a homemade setup, or maybe another, maybe a little something in the sh- in a shop or a garage where you you have a lot of water use, and you figure you just get rid of it by putting it down the down the drain and into the septic system. Not, it's not really a good idea. Um, you know, you should limit your bath and your um, and your wash load uh, um, uh, use to you know maybe a couple of a day, and just let that water out uh, and let it take its natural course. The the other thing that can damage um, septic systems, or at least doesn't do them any good, is um, is the, uh, mechanical water softeners. Now, you know, some people have them and some don't. It just depends on what areas of the country you live in and what type of rock and uh, and um, uh, soil you have where you get, where your well water is um, is coming from. Um, but a lot of water needs a lot of Water is hard, and it needs to be softened with a with a uh, you know water softener, which actually uses the salt to um, to sort of uh, uh, take the minerals out of the water. Um, but what happens is they um, they actually cycle water. Uh, the the rinse water is cycled through and into the septic system. So um, again, uh, if your water uh, if you're drinking, if it was just drinking water, it wouldn't be all that bad because you, it's, that's not such a high volume. But if people have water softeners, a whole house softener, for example, that would that would treat every bit of water that comes into that house, including your laundry and your drinking and your cooking and all that stuff, um, then you're going to be cycling a lot of water through that water softener, and that goes directly into the septic system. So, uh, you know, especially older water softeners aren't all that efficient, and they do cycle a lot of water through them. Uh, newer Newer units are manufacturers are more conscious about about the efficiency of of these units, and uh, so they will they are designed not to use as much water. So that certainly helps. 
Um, the other thing that can be done is is uh, installing again, like we might do with a like a washing machine or something, just install a separate septic system or a separate uh, um, uh, dry tank or uh, dry well or 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 use the word cesspool before, but just basically a, a tank or a drum or a or a container in the soil that will let the water uh, separately come from the water softener and dissipate out into the soil outside of the uh, outside of the normal septic system. So that's um, you know that's something. Um, the uh, the other way of keeping solids out of the tank is just to keep it pumped on a regular maintenance schedule. Um, you know if you're a single person in a in a home with a with a uh, modern septic system, you may not need to have it pumped very frequently at all. I mean, maybe five years or, or even more than that. But a family of say four or more, uh, a lot of water use, a lot of water cooking going on, a lot of washing and laundry, um, that may require that your tank be pumped, um, you know, every two years. And and you know, there's certainly people on this uh, planet that need that you know might even have an annual contract with their with their uh, septic service company um what that does is they they excavate the uh, they excavate the soil uh um, at the at the side of the tank and they and they lift off the uh, access cover and then there's a huge uh, truck comes with a huge uh, uh water vacuum system that just draws all the water and solids and everything out of the tank and um and especially with the goal of just removing all the solids that have sunk to the bottom of the chamber and just get all that out so that we can basically start fresh again. Um, and this can occur, you know, this can occur, as you said, on an annual or, or a, you know, biannual basis, um, but it's important to just get the, the solids out of there. Um, some some tanks are even set up that there's actually an access hole, like a tunnel or a, or a lid that's right at the surface um, or right very, very close to the surface where, the, where that can be accessed through a, a manhole type lid that um you can actually uh um don't have to do a lot of excavation but they're just they can just uh, access through the you know through the top and uh, makes it a lot easier um so that's a, a another you know another way of doing it of course pumping the tank you know is a little bit of money every time but it, it's still uh well worth uh, well worth the investment in having the tank pumped on a regular basis than having the entire drain field dug up and uh, and re you know, reconfigured or, or po possibly even the, the uh, whole septic system, re you know, replaced with a new system. Um, the rule is in most uh, communities that I'm aware of, most, most health departments, once you've disturbed the septic field or, or the tank other than just pumping, you have essentially breached the system and you're liable to, uh, to basically have the whole thing reinspected and potentially rebuilt before you can, um, before you can put it all, you know, back together. You can't. You can't just make a repair, at least not legally, make a repair on your septic field uh, by excavating earth and replacing a section of pipe and then covering it back up again without having the entire system inspected. And once once you have the county inspector come out, he may well uh, declare that you need to have the field re you know rebuilt. So um, maybe old enough that it has to, just has to be redone. So there's always some risk of uh, you know fairly large uh, expenditure there. Um, the uh, the points to really watch, other than other than the um, the water going in there and 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 the amount of uh, solids we're trying to not build up in the uh, in the tank, is is the other stuff you kind of you people tend to the other kind of stuff that people tend to put in the tank um, in the in the commode, which eventually gets into the tank. 
uh, household cleaners. You know, I mentioned paint before and that kind of stuff, but household cleaners, um, certainly things like uh, like um, kerosene or benzene or solvent-type cleaners, gasoline, all that stuff, absolutely unacceptable. I mean, besides the besides the potential uh, uh, fire or explosion hazard, even though you're putting it in water, the vapors can be a real a real potential crisis because they can, um, you know, a lot of these solvents float to the surface. The system is vented, you know, the, the septic system is vented uh, through pipes through your walls and up up to your roof and such. And it's not, it wouldn't be absolutely impossible for a potential um, uh, ignition uh, of the vapors. Uh, you know, there's probably a number of ways it can happen, but one of the easiest ways is someone just flicking a cigarette into the uh, butt, a lit uh-huh. cigarette butt into the, into the commode. It's, it's happened before. Um um, people, uh, people on the roof, people working on roofs of homes, on the on the on the shingles, or working on chimneys or whatever, have flicked, smoked, or flicked, or whatever whatever reason. There's a fire, there's a flame up on the roof, uh, some too close to the roof vent, which is just a just a small pipe that comes up through the roof, um, causing you know causing explosions or ignition of of uh, the vent system. So, um, so it's not unheard of. Um, so certainly the volatile Toxins like solvents and such, uh, you you definitely do not want to put down the commode. But even household cleaners, um, bleaches. I mean, I know people clean their clean their commodes with bleach, but but you know it has to be said that chlorine bleach, um, detergents, lye-based cleaners, um, some of the super duper cleaners that we use on um, uh, you know some of the stain removing cleaners or the or the um, or the high, you know, the high-tech uh, wonder cleaners. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things contain lyes and uh, and um, um, other either acids or alkalines that just are really not. Uh, they're really very detrimental to the um, to the bacteria and the enzymes in the in the septic system and in the septic field. Um, and uh, uh, you know, they end up uh, destroying a lot of the a lot of the good. The good stuff in the septic system, and we don't want to do that. Um, certainly, a small amount. I mean, you know, pour, putting a little bit of uh, lime and rust calcium remover on a sponge and cleaning the sink isn't going to hurt anything. Um, but uh, you know, pouring pouring half a gallon down the, you know, down the commode and flushing it in the hopes of cleaning the tank, cleaning the bowl, or or um, or whatever it is you're trying to clean. These are not. This is not doing good things to the toilet, especially. Uh, to the septic system, especially if, uh, <laughs> especially if um, uh, it's done in you know in, on a regular basis, where people have a habit of, you know, every every week I'm going to be flushing a gallon of bleach down the toilet yeah. or something, um, which which I you know know people do this, so this is not this is not, you know not a no wonder they have trouble. Um, the um, uh, you know just just the idea of um, of um, purchasing cleaners, if you look, if you read, if you read carefully on the label of some of the crystalline uh, cloggers, un, you know, uh, clog, clog unstoppers, um, cleaning agents, and uh, and um, you know, just just uh, drain cleaners and such that you that you uh, drain, it'll say perfectly safe, perfect safe for plumbing. Well, yeah, it is very safe for plumbing. The plumbing is the is the PVC pipe they're referring to. You you think it's perfectly safe for, you know, perfectly safe for the septic tank, perfectly safe for the toilet or whatever. They don't say that. They say plumbing. And and if they're if they were ever pushed, 
Uh, of course, they would say, no, plumbing is piping and, you know, and that kind of thing. It's the toilet. It's mm-hmm. certainly not going to hurt the porcelain toilet bowl or the or the PVC pipe that it's going through. So uh, it, it definitely has a detrimental impact on the um, on the septic uh, system as a whole, uh, not the mechanical part of it, but the but the actual bacterial part, and um, you know especially ex- when used excessively. So so this is you know everything in moderation. Uh, you know I'm not saying don't use it, but um, but you know better yet is a product that has enzymes in it. And you can you can see there are certain products um, that it'll there'll be enzyme enhancers, enzyme uh, based products that that add um, enzymes to the um, you know, to the system without without other bad stuff in it. And there's, you know, it will add tens of thousands of enzymes into the into the uh, septic system, which is already populated with millions. But still, you're not putting anything awful in there. I mean, it's it, they're basically just sort of a uh, a probiotic addition. It's just think of think of someone with, you know, with with, um, with the digestion uh, issues or you know, lactose intolerant people or or people who can't eat certain foods and they may. Or, or, or someone with a health with health concerns that may be, have sort of migrated to a um, to a, bio, a probiotics diet or taking a probiotics yogurt or something like that. Um, same thing. You just you're putting something into the system that that is designed to help it. Um, even though there's already stuff in your body, you're putting some more more probiotics in there just to sort of help things along. Uh, same with the septic system. The you know the enzymes are there to sort of um, Continually stir things up, get the digestion going, uh, you know, move things along, that kind of thing. Um, the other, uh, the other thing is to be careful what you f- what you flush down the toilet beyond beyond the uh, you know the additives um, and the you know and the and the stuff I just mentioned. Um, solid uh, solid materials like uh, ground kitty litter, um, disposable diapers. I mean, Lord knows who'd want to put some huge. I mean, that's a, a very large mass of material. Um, you know, cloth or, or you know, synthetic cloth and plastics and such um, down down the commode. But you know, people do it. Um, cigarette butts. Um, um, I'm thinking of you know, a lot of paper. Just just uh, uh, you know, feminine hygiene products. All that all that kind of stuff that's not easily um, dissolvable is is definitely uh, a a material that can that can be very detrimental to the system. Um root cleaners, I I I forgot about that. Root inhibitors, uh, people may you know, may well have have roots, small root growths that have gotten into their um have gotten into their systems and they don't want to call they don't want to call the rooter mechanical rooter guy to come out and, and, and uh snake mm-hmm. the system or root the system. So they'll put um, you know kills roots. Well it generally contains copper sulfate, um which actually does you know does uh Starts break down the roots, but it also kills all the, um, well, not all, but kills the uh, um, much of the beneficial organisms that um, that are there to break down the waste in the septic system. So, so that stuff is is also something that you may want to avoid. Um, I mean, it's really cheaper in the long run to have it have the system uh, snake out or rooted out than to um, than to um, uh, try to do it in a chemical way because the chemicals are, are generally uh, I shouldn't say all of them, but but many of them are not good for the health of the system. Even though they may solve the problem, the immediate problem quickly, they're not good for the long-term health of the system. Um, Richard, I need to uh, take a break. I need to take a yeah. break real quick, if you don't mind. Sure, uh, that'll be great.
Alrighty, we're talking with Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Backcomb Magazine. We're talking about proper care and maintenance of the septic system, and we just told you the, the number of these systems that are out there, so I'm sure it affects a lot of our uh, listeners uh, and fans that are out there, and uh, very good information, and uh, hopefully you're learning some new things. Get the Chicken Whisper notebooks out and take plenty of notes, and we'll continue uh, with this topic when we return right after this short break from our sponsors, so stay with us. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water they eat. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. 
Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest is Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Today we're talking about proper care and maintenance of our septic septic systems. And, uh, of course, the second and fourth Thursday, every single month, we have Homestead Ed. We are calling this, uh, talking about homesteading and sustainable living and different topics regarding that uh, with Richard Frudenberger. And so let's bring him back on live, and we'll uh, continue and wrap up this uh, topic for today's show. Richard. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, think a good way to wrap up would be to hit half a dozen or so um, of the high points of, of, of the no-nos that do not um, I know we've been through a bunch of them already too, but but just sort of uh, other things to think about when you to just deal with the um, deal with the tank with the septic system as a whole, um, not just in the from the inside where you're where you're concerned about what you're flushing or not flushing, but also from the outside. Um, but one of the things I didn't mention, which I wanted to get to before uh, we left, was um, was uh, the lint from a washing machine. That's a that's a lot of fabric. A lot of a lot of stringy when it gets wet. A lot of stringy, goopy, very hard to um, with synthetic fabrics. Fabrics anyway, it's very hard to dissipate. It, it tends to it tends to block things up very easily. Um, I I read somewhere that that the uh, washing machine can generate the average washing machine can can generate enough enough lint to actually carpet a floor in a year. Enough <laughs> lint in a year to carpet your floor. So so that's a lot of yeah, I mean anybody who knows, you know, uh, who, who has a, a filter on their washing machine and has to clean it knows that, um, um, you know, knows that it can gather it up. Um, even in the dryer, if you use a use a, use a uh, mechanical dryer, uh, uh, clothes dryer, you you have the lint, you know, lint catcher catches a lot of lint as well. Um, unfortunately, a lot of, um, or unfortunately for the for the uh, septic system, a lot of washing machines have uh, basically a lint-free systems. That all that means is that Instead of having a trap, which the older machines used to have, a, a little a little filter you pull out and clean once in a while, or you know between every every several loads or whatever, um, it actually chews up the sort of chews up the uh, the the fibers and the lint um, and uh, and just sends them right out the drain pipe, which is very convenient for you the the washer person, but um, not real convenient for the drain field because it. It will, you know, they will uh, coagulate down the down the line, and you know, very potentially clog up um, everything from the tank itself to the uh, uh, more likely the septic field and and the and the effluent uh, uh, leach field pipes um, where the waters uh, and fluids are, are leaving the uh, leaving the system. So so uh, um, you know, it's really 
there's uh, lint screens will catch, um, you know, catch a lot of it, but it's, they still let some through. So really, about the only um, the only way to the only way to um, effectively resolve the issue is to either either dedicate a separate dry well or um, or or small septic field to the to the uh, uh, washing machine itself, or uh, purchase a uh, a drain line filter. They're actually they actually make little uh, filtration devices that go between the between the uh, plumbing of the exit plumbing of your house where the washing machine utility uh, exit is, um, and the and the outlet pipe of the washing machine, so that this filter will catch everything and you can clean that out. It's just like a, a small box. It'll clean. It'll you can manually clean that out every you know every scheduled basis and uh, and uh, you know eliminate a, a, you know I'm sure over 90% of the lint going into the into the uh, drain field. So that's one that's one thing I, I didn't want to let slip. Um, we already talked about how bad garbage disposals can be because it just it just it really just sends chunks of uh, of food even though they're cho- they're chopped up. It's chunks of food that often is not really biodegradable not really biodegradable the fats and the uh, and some of the bones and things like that that just um, they really don't break down very easily so um uh the taking the garbage disposal out of the system either by diverting it to a smaller another not using it at all um my home came with a garbage disposal it was one of the first things i removed um it'll it'll cut down the the introduction of solids into the waste into the waste stream or into the septic tank itself by about 50% in a normal situation. So you know that's a good thing to you know to get rid of or just don't use. Um, uh, you know the drain and everything will still work in your sink if you don't if even if it's installed. Uh, if you don't need to use it, the water will still go down the drain and everything. And you can use a a simple catch uh, catch basin or catch trap thing in the in the uh, in the drain to uh, to catch all that all that material. You can just throw it. Uh, throw it out or put it in the composting pile if it's if it's not animal fat. Um, so you know, discharging only biodegradable material into the waste system is uh, is a good thing. Um, diverting surface runoff from the roof is another area you don't really even think about it, but you know your your uh, down your uh, downspouts, your drainage, uh, the drainage from your gutters or roofing system into the onto the earth. Uh, some people have buried lines that sort of discharge out and you know go down the hill or something. Some people have other other ways of handling it, uh, ditch or something. But um, uh, if if your if your uh, downspouts happen to drain onto or or near even near the septic field, you really need to uh, make plans to divert that to get that that runoff water away from the Area of the drain field and just send it someplace else um, where it won't it won't overload the drainage action or the evaporation and drainage action of the uh, of the septic system because you it, you really don't want to flood it um, you're already risking flooding it from the inside you don't need to be flooding it from the top as well so um, so that's always a good a good thing and it, it can be easy just take just purchasing some um, some flexible some corrugated black uh, pipe and um, Either leaving it on the surface, or, or better for visuals anyway, better bury it. You know, dig a shallow trench and and uh, and uh, attach it to the end of the drain of the downspout, and send the you know send it 50 or 50 or 60 feet off into the 
another place so that the water isn't gathering over your over your septic field. Um, uh, you should always keep your septic tank covered uh, or un- uncovered. Is what I, I don't mean the lid off, but I mean um, know where your septic tank is and keep the top of it uh, accessible. Is the word I'm looking for, so that when it does come time to you know to pump it or to or to determine whether there's some problems, you don't have to guess where the tank is or um, you know fish for it or uh, they usually use a rod like a, a steel rod and poke around see if they can hear hear it hit the top of the concrete lid. But um, but you know you can avoid all that by just by just marking it. You can draw a little map. You know actually measure it out. I have a I have drawn a map and a compass reading. You know it's it's 15 feet from from this point at the edge of the foundation that I've marked with a little red flag and it's, uh, you know, so many, it's 15 feet and it's in the direction of, uh, of uh, you know, 273 degrees on the compass. And so, you you know, it's really, it doesn't have to be that that uh, minute, but you, you can even flag it. You can even put a little a little wooden stake with a red mm-hmm. marker tape on it and keep it low to the ground so you can run the mower over it. And, um, and you know, you can mark it that way. Um, you should keep a schedule of having your septic tank pumped Regularly, if you don't know when you had the tank pump last, or if you purchased your house and you have no record of it, it may well be worth your while to just get get the guy out there and do the pumping, and then you can get on a schedule with with him or her and and um, and set it up so that uh, you know you know it may need to be pumped every three years or or whatever, um, and just get that get that started and keep it going. Um, when the um, when the the tanks open, they can also look into it, see if there's any leakage, any cracks in the system, anything out of the ordinary. Maybe something's in there floating around, or some something that could, could potentially uh, block uh, you know block things, even little balls or something. Um, it, a, a ball that may have a child's toy or a ball that may have found its way into the tank may not find its way out of the tank as easily because the pipe may be clogged on the way out. And the and the the rubber ducky or the or the ball or whatever it is could easily get stuck in there and really make a problem. You'd have to unearth the tank all over again and you know get in there and and take that out. So um, so just you know a visual inspection is is definitely worth it once the lid's off. Um, the other thing which is a no-brainer, but you think about, but you need to be you need to be thinking about it is you need to establish where exactly your tank and your septic field is so you don't build on top of it or you don't dig in it. Um, it's it's not that uncommon for especially older homes where the septic where the tank or the or the cesspool more than likely the cesspool was placed probably five, six feet outside the uh outside one of the doors, um the back door because that's where the that's where the sewer pipe was sent out and uh and it was easy to find because it was right there by the back door and you could you know if you needed to Dig it out. You could get the shovel and dig it out and fix it and put it back up, and you knew where it was. It's just the base of the steps or whatever. Well, come you know, 20 years later, maybe somebody else owns the house, or maybe uh, uh, maybe the kids took over the house and they don't. You know, the dad did all the maintenance and the kids weren't involved, and they don't know. And they build a figure. Hey, let's just put a, a deck right here off the back door. Let's put it. Let's pour a concrete slab right here, and we'll. Um, and we'll uh, build an addition on the house, or we'll have it. We'll have a nice cement patio, or whatever, a nice tile or slate patio. Anyway, you know, the point being that you are covering up access completely to the septic tank, and um, and uh, you will have to completely dismantle your new construction to get to it to pump it. Um, this is not that uncommon. Uh, the other, the only other solution is to break the pipe, 
under the house and and redivert it to a, a different direction and and build a whole new septic system. So, um, you know, that's neither of those are real um, attractive. Um, if you dig in the septic field, you're going to puncture and breach the um, one of the laterals very likely, and then you're going to have a daylighting situation. Um, so you want to be sure you identify where your septic and leach field is and avoid that when you um, when you're building or putting in fences or electric lines or underground utilities, whatever, uh, you don't want to be going through the through the uh, septic field. Um, the other thing you don't want to do is drive over it. You mentioned that yourself with the truck. Um, you don't want really dri- don't want to drive over it with anything. Um, um, you know, it's better like a like a backhoe can potentially get away with some of that. I mean, possibly because the tires are bigger. Um, you know, they spread out more, but the machine is quite heavy. So, again, you know, it's not a great idea. I mean, you really try to avoid that. Uh, it won't necessarily collapse the, uh, a lateral, but it, but it could. And it certainly compacts the soil to where it's making it less easy for the water to effluent to um, dissipate. Um, you don't want to plant trees, shrubbery, um, anything like that over the absorption field area because... The roots will definitely get into the line. They'll stay, they seek water. They'll want to get to the water, especially rich effluent water like that full of nutrients for them. Um, th- those roots will get right in there, and that's definitely what you don't want. Um, even a garden in that area, you know, some of those, some of those uh, uh, subsurface roots and some, some cultivars can get pretty deep, and, uh, and you, you just really don't want that, don't want that um, problem. So the only, thing, the only thing on top put is... Um, is grass or something with a very shallow root system that um, that will stay on the surface and not, uh, you know, not not uh, uh, get into the laterals. And the final thing is don't cover the absorption field with anything like, uh, um, you know, gravel, parking areas, uh, asphalt, concrete. It's it's sort of it's sort of the same as covering your septic tank. I mean, you really don't want to um, you don't want to uh, Remove the ability of the of the field to uh, do its do its thing, and and let the and also remove the possibility of the evaporation of the surface, any surface moisture that the sun hit, normally hits the soil and the grass, and evap- evaporates. It helps dry up the field, um, helps continue the process of the water being dissipated or effluent being dissipated through the uh, through the soil. So if you if you put an asphalt parking area or a cement um, workshop or patio or just a parking zone in that place, uh, you're going to reduce the effectiveness of the, of the septic field. So you, you really don't want to do, you know, do that. So, um, you know, it's, it's an expensive proposition. Uh, having a septic and the, and the septic system installed is, you know, can be a couple thousand, several thousand dollars to, you know, to uh, well over $10,000 depending on your design. And some, in some areas they have to do some specific designing and, uh, some areas need above, sort of above ground mounding. That uh, that's a little unusual for most people, but in other areas, people who have those know what I'm talking about. Uh, it can it can be an expensive thing. So you really you really want to uh, take care and maintain your your system, you know, correctly because it's it's easy to forget it because it's you don't see it, but it's, it's there anyway. Okay. Yeah. Good. Very good information. I know just some things. Uh, 
with Dad being an architect and building the house up there where they're at now and learning about that and things, you know, don't drive over it and having it pumped out and different things, a lot of the basics, but a lot of the stuff, you know, um, like you said, a lot of folks when they buy a house, oh, it's septic, okay, and they really know nothing uh, about it, the care, the maintenance, what what not to put down drains, how often they need a pump, if they have to have a pump, size of the family, and and different things uh, like that, maybe additives, what not to add, like even the, the cleaners and, and, and the bleach and things uh, that, that you talk about. So uh, very good information. And like we said, it affects a lot of people. We had those numbers from the EPA side earlier, uh, about 20 million uh, across the country. And I was still surprised that there are even uh, folks, to, to be honest, that have outhouses. I heard it on one podcast that they are now uh, illegal. I don't know, I guess, if you already have one maybe grandfathered in, but, but maybe that's it, that they're illegal to implement or to build or to utilize now a new one. But if you already had one, maybe, they, again, they're grandfathered in and you continue to uh, to use that. So that was that was very interesting. So I know the house that we moved to, we bought seven years ago and moved to, uh, built in 1900, you know, it, it had a house, obviously. And, um, and, and even talk, you know, we can even talk to the previous owners and their family uh, who we've probably only been two owners about you know, electricity, when do we get electricity and they had and the whole house one bulb in the master bedroom hanging down from a wire and it was the one bulb and socket, no fixture nothing and all that So, uh, but great, great uh, show today Richard we thank you very much for joining us, a timely topic and um, let me get over here because uh, the next topic we have which would be the uh, second Thursday of um November. Let me find it here. Uh, interesting topic. If I remember reading it the other day. Um, uh, yes, brown recluse beware. Facts about habits and hideaways for the dangerous brown recluse spider, and how to keep them at bay in your home and home place. And uh, seasonal clothing changes can bring on more than biting incidents. So, a very interesting topic. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but in the last 10 days to 14 days, there was a home, and it was on CNN, it was on Fox, it was on Yahoo News, Google News, all of those, about a home, and I can't remember where it was. But it was a uh, a home that was worth somewhere between a quarter and a half a million dollars in a very affluent subdivision that had a brown recluse um, infestation. I don't know if you saw that or not. Uh, apparently the owners uh, tried to sue the previous owners uh, for not uh, making that public when they bought the house. And then they tried to sue their insurance company, uh, which was, um, I think it was... Oh, it was uh, State Farm, and uh, the, comp- the people who owned the house that before them, they filed bankruptcy, I guess, to try to avoid being sued or what have you, and the insurance company still hadn't paid, so I, I don't remember exactly what the outcome was, but they had pictures of this, this company coming out and putting a huge tarp, just one big massive tarp over this home and fumigating it, and before they did this, they estimated the entomologist estimated that there were approximately 5,000 brown recluse spiders in this home. They said they were coming out of the walls, coming out of the plumbing and the floor and the ceiling and the attic, all over. And uh, they talked about gassing it. And, uh, of course, it generated a lot of comments like, man, they ought to just burn that sucker to the ground. (laughs) I'm never going to live in the house. So uh, that'll be an interesting topic. I'll I'll try to... uh, 
because uh, it will be easy to find. It was such a big news story uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, uh, in a couple of weeks when we post that topic, I'll make sure I, I'll have a link and, and have that link readily available for our, our discussion. So, in fact, this just popped into my brain. I saw on CNN or Fox or one of the news agencies where a boy was just, uh, um, I don't know the word killed or just passed away, just died from a brown recluse spider bite that got uh, national attention on the news waves that I read on a regular basis. And it was, uh, I believe it was something where he was bitten a leg, his legs full up. He went to the doctor, they gave him an antibiotic and sent him home. And it just, and finally they had to take the leg. And I think he ended up dying of, of the infection. But um, due to the brown recluse, so not not a good thing to have around your home and something very important to be able to identify uh, as far as spiders around your home. And uh, knowing where they like to hang out is also equally as important. So I'm sure that, that topic uh, in two weeks when, you, when we have you back will uh, be very important and will interest a lot of people around the country as well. So thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. And it's Richard Trudenberger, publisher of uh, Back Home Magazine. Okay, we'll see you in a couple of weeks then. Great. Sounds good. Thank you very much uh, for a great show and a great topic and, uh, and sharing all this great information. And Richard Trudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine at backhomemagazine.com is where you can go and uh, get tons of great information. I know they're having a book sale right now. Uh, consolidating uh, the, the books that they have for the end of the year. They're also you can buy the DVDs, the CDs of uh, all 22 years of magazine right there on one DVD that you can refer to. And we're calling this episode for 2015, starting a little bit early. Uh, Homestead Ed is what we're calling it. So with Richard Frudenberger, he also will have a article in the Chicken Whisperer Winter uh, Magazine, uh, all about solar power and your coop. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. No show tomorrow. We hope you have an absolutely wonderful weekend with family and friends, and we'll see you back here Monday with another all-new episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. God bless everybody. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details